Well, the church, the Bible uses many different words to describe the church. And one of the word pictures that the Bible uses is it describes the church, it describes us as a family. A family is made up of individuals, but they have different ages, they have different genders, and because the Bible also often talks about adoption, you can consider a family as having different races, different upbringings, different life experiences. But the different ages and the different perspectives in a family shouldn't be something that hurts the family. It should be part of something that makes the family strong and beautiful. And the purpose of our series that we're entering into today, that we're calling Generation to Generation, is to find that strength and that beauty in the family of God. Now, if you took this metaphor and applied it directly to Compassion Christian Church, uh, then the sociologists would tell us that we have five different generations in our family. The oldest generation would be the, what are called the builders. They are those that were born before the year 1946. Followed, following them are what are called the boomers, their kids. And then come Gen X. And then comes my generation, the most commonly talked about generation, which I just want to let you know, none of us like. Uh, those are the millennials. And then the youngest generation is referred to as Gen Z, and those are people that are born after 2001. Now, those are all just a bunch of names and dates and ages. There's no way to show you in a graph like that how different these groups of people are. So I've come up with some other comparisons to kind of just show just how different a couple of decades can actually be. And with the first comparison I want to go through is just the different music. Every generation has its music. It has its sound. And it'll help illustrate just how different the generations are. So let's start with the builders. The builders sounded like this. You may see a stranger across a crowded room. Now, Mr. Crosby there has a lovely voice. It just makes you want to sway with it, right? But even here, you're going to see a big difference between generations because that may have been what the builders sounded like, but this is what the boomers sounded like. like a bomb, and uh, that's when, if those of y'all don't know about it, many of your mothers just lost their minds over four guys with identical bowl cuts, and uh, of course, that then was followed by Gen X, and Gen X sounds like this. Jackson, the king of pop. You know, when I, when I kind of put this together, 
Uh, I didn't consider how awkward it was going to feel to just stand up here. And, you know, the king of pop, man, it makes you want to dance, which I would think was a lot of fun, but none of you would enjoy that. So we'll move on to the millennials. The millennials sounded like this. I thought you'd always be there. <laughs> All right, boys to men, boys to men. That was going to become a karaoke session. Now, hey, here's the deal. You can't talk about millennials without talking about boy bands, and that's the greatest boy band of them all. And I just brought you back to my middle school bus rides out to <laughs> Duren Middle School in Savannah. All right, Gen Z, our youngest generation, they sound like this. Now, if you're not familiar with who that is, you should get familiar. That's Billie Eilish. And Billie Eilish is 18. She started recording and producing music in her childhood bedroom where she still lives, despite the fact that she is the biggest name in music. That is how much times have changed. Now that's the big overview, that's, that's music, but I think the real gems can be found in some of the minutiae, some of the smaller differences between the generations, but still highlight big differences overall. So I wanna talk about how the generations talk to their crushes. We'll go in reverse order, Gen Z, slides into DMs. Now DMs, DMs are direct messages. So that means they get on social media, they get on apps, they just send out messages to people they're interested in, shoot their shots, see if there's returned interest. That's not how millennials did it. Millennials used a little program called AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> Gather around children. We used to receive our internet in the mail, yeah. All right, before millennials, Gen X used this. Uh, this is a two-foot phone cord that miraculously stretches up to a mile and gets you as far away from your parents and siblings as you could possibly be. Now, when it comes to boomers, I don't, I'm not sure, but I did do some research, and I'm pretty sure it looks something like this. Uh, <laughs> It was so difficult to roll the paper up tight enough to tie it to your pigeon's leg, you know? I mean, just, but it's not as difficult as the builders had it. They had to carve their Valentines in stone and, all right, here's the deal. It's good to have laughter around this subject because the subject of generations is often very tense. These kids, man, immature, entitled, lazy, all they want are participation trophies and everything handed to them for free. Which as a member of a younger generation, I just would like to tell you that that feels a little harsh, but to my fellow younger people, other, you know, the younger generations, we should have empathy for our older brothers and sisters because like genuinely, it's gotta be difficult to have people from younger generations starting to step into your boardroom, step into your corner offices. I mean, even their Yodas are getting replaced, you know? <laughs> It's gotta hurt. Here's the deal. 
There's no worth to digging in on why there's tension between the generations, because essentially there's always been tension between the generations. Socrates was literally saying that young people were lazy in 380 BC. This is nothing new. The real question is, what should the church's response be? And so in that direction, I want to share a picture with you that's from a moment that is very precious to me. This is my son Andrew with my grandfather, John Miller, who I knew as DJ. And this is my grandfather with his first great-grandchild. Now, DJ had a profound impact on my life. He was a kind, gentle, hardworking, intelligent, patient man, as much like Jesus as anyone I have ever known. But at this time in his life, his body was beginning to betray him. But this was a good day. In this picture, in this picture, I find a lot of beauty. Because that's a man who has walked faithfully, step by step, with Jesus for 80 plus years and has the deep wisdom and gentleness that comes from that. And he's with a vibrant, joyful, creative young kid who has a pure, childlike faith. They make each other better. Their differences are to each other's benefit. And so it should be in the church. Our church is filled with different generations, and that could be a source of division, or it could be a source of strength. And we are encouraged in Romans 12, verse 10, that we should love one another with brotherly affection, that we should outdo one another when it comes to showing honor. And the purpose of this series is to teach one another how to do that, how to love each other like family, how to outdo each other in giving honor to the different generations. And in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to highlight different generations, one or two at a time, and talk about their unique challenges, their unique strengths, and what their place is in the kingdom of God. And today, we are going to start with Gen Z, because after all, it's student-led weekend. Now, uh, we are going to be looking at an account uh, from the life of Jesus. It's recorded to, for us in Luke chapter 10. And so if you have your own Bible, you can go ahead and find Luke chapter 10 and just kind of put a finger there. We'll get there in a little bit. But as you're finding that, to set up our conversation on Gen Z, I want to let you know that every generation has life-defining events Events that occur in their lives that kind of set the tone of how they view and interact with the world around them. So for the builders, the oldest generation, that life-defining event was the Great Depression in World War II. What is the life-defining event for Gen Z? I'll give you a hint. 95% of the people that can see my face and hear my voice have one of these in your pockets or in your hands. The invention of the smartphone has changed everything. Now, you might wonder, hey, uh, since uh, virtually all of us have one of these things, why is that something that is uh, life-defining only for Gen Z? Well, the answer to that is timing. See, the iPhone was invented in 2007. It became commonplace in 2010, which means Gen Z doesn't remember a time before constant, complete connectivity. The other generations, on the other hand, we at least remember the time before all that happened, even millennials. I mean, to prove my point, fellow millennials, don't you remember getting excited about finding a hidden track on an album, right? 
Netflix right now, doesn't matter your generation, it takes longer than 15 seconds to load, it makes all of us angry, but millennials remember when it used to be scratched up DVDs arriving in the mail, right? And the online gaming, like now you just turn on a system and you're there. It used to be something you had to schedule your entire family's schedule around and then your sister still picked up the phone and ruined everything. <laughs> See, millennials remember that stuff. And what does that mean practically? Not much. Millennials have slightly less FOMO, slightly less FOBO. That's the fear of missing out and being offline. But... As I start to relate some of the stats related to Gen Z and technology, if you're a millennial that's engaged with us right now, you're going to feel some of these stats land closer to home than you'd like. This whole message that's going to be aimed primarily at Gen Z, you're going to feel subtweeted the whole time. All right? What stats am I referring to? Gen Z, on average, the most recent studies are telling us, spend 10.5 hours a day absorbing media. They touch their phones 5,234 times a day. In case you're wondering, there's only 1,440 minutes in a day, so that's about four times a minute. Microsoft put out a survey, and they asked, hey, when you have nothing else uh, taking your attention, do you just reach for your phone first? 77% of them said yes, and 23% more would have said yes if they were more self-aware. And the average Netflix user finishes a season of TV every five days. Wow. <laughs> Someone's looking to set records. That's it. Look, these aren't meant to be challenges. These are meant, yeah. All right, so CEO, the CEO, speaking of Netflix, the CEO of Netflix was interviewed a few years ago, and he was asked, hey, are you worried about the competition that's coming from Amazon Prime, from Disney Plus? And he shrugged it off and said, our main competitor is sleep. And then he added, we're winning. Now, before you think that this thing's going down the direction driven by you know, doom and gloom, prudish Christian. Let me tell you about uh, some recent developments that are coming out of Silicon Valley. See, the people that invented our smartphones and designed our social media are now old enough to have kids of their own. And in Silicon Valley, there are now private schools that charge very high tuitions and also have very long waiting lists. Do you want to know what their main draw is. They are device-free environments. Now see, here's the deal. The people that designed our technology know that every single thing that's being designed today is being designed intentionally for a distraction and addiction. And that's why a way to view this is that your phones are digital carnivores designed in a lab to be the perfect hunters of your time and attention. And because of that, the person that designs Snapchat is willing to spend tens of thousands of dollars to protect his own children from his own creation. Now, I'll tell you one thing. that The folks out in Silicon Valley, they've got absolutely right. And that's that your attention is valuable. 
Your attention is valuable because your attention is a limited resource. Every single man, woman, and child, young and old, rich or poor, you only have 24 hours in a day. And if you want to know what that has to do with your limited resource of, of, of attention, then just finish this statement. You can only focus on one thing at a time. See, your attention is locked to time, so you only have a given amount of attention to give in, in a day, in a week, in a lifetime. And digital carnivores, devices, apps, social media, gaming, are designed to feed on your attention, and they are good at it. Isn't it so kind that YouTube generates all of these suggested videos for us? Isn't it so convenient that Netflix autoplays the next episode? Isn't it so creative that Snapchat tracks your streaks? Digital carnivores. They are eating our time and our attention. But your attention is valuable. Spend it wisely. Your attention is a limited resource. Give it to what matters most. Now, digital carnivores weren't roaming the earth when Jesus was, and yet our attention was just as valuable then as it is now. And so I told you we'd be in Luke chapter 10. Specifically, we're going to start at verse 38, and if you would like to join me, now's the time. Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it says this, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. But Martha was distracted with much serving. So Jesus shows up at a house and we've been introduced to the two hosts. One's name is Mary. She is sitting at the feet of Jesus, fully engaged, fully present with him. The other host is a woman named Martha who's working on putting together a meal for Jesus and the people that are traveling with him. Now, the Bible says that Martha is distracted. And the word that's translated there as distracted is original wording. What it means is it means being pulled in two different directions at the same time. Now, that is a perfect word for what we're talking about when it comes to technology because our attention can go in one place or another. It can be pulled in one direction or another, but it can't be placed on two things with any real worth. And so Martha is in that place being pulled apart, distracted. It's causing frustration. So she goes to Jesus and she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her. And here in this, the compassion in Jesus's voice any time in the Gospels where Jesus uses someone's name twice, his heart is always going out to them. Okay, so this is compassionate where he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, Jesus is making a play there when he says the good portion. He's making a play on what Martha had been doing. Martha had been slaving over this meal, trying to create this great spread, this nice and impressive meal. But when Jesus says that Mary's chosen the good portion, what he's saying is 
the best thing on the menu, Martha, is me. And Mary has chosen the right thing to give her attention to, and that will not be taken from her. Now, Jesus is not angry at Martha. Jesus loves Martha. It's out of love for her, and because his word is living and active, it's out of love for us that he says, Martha, your attention is a limited resource. Give it to what matters most. Give it to me. When we get to this place, this place where you've heard me say this so many times, you might wonder, why specifically do I keep saying what matters most? I'm doing that very intentionally because of this. Martha's meal was a good thing, and so is the office. Bears beats Battlestar Galactica, maybe one of the greatest comedic lines ever written. But your attention is a limited resource. And because of that, we're not just talking about choosing between bad things and good things. We're also talking about choosing between good things and best things. And the thing that should scare us is that one day we look up and we've watched all nine seasons of The Office over and over and over, but we never learn to love prayer. We, we have spent hours and hours following the lives of influencers and we don't know the hearts of our best friends. We've stacked up victory royales by the dozen and yet our families feel like they get our second best. None of those are bad things, but none of us would argue that they are what's most important. So what do we do about it? How do we take the limited resource of our attention and place it on what matters most? My first recommendation is, is that you discover where your attention is currently going. None of us have a good idea of how much time we actually spend online. You may suspect that you are below the national average, and you may be, but you may not be as below the national average as you think you are. The easiest way to kind of discover where your attention is currently going is to use some of the time management stuff, the systems that are already on your phone. If you have an iPhone, that's called screen time. If you have an Android, that's called digital well-being. They are already on your phone, and when you activate them, they will track your phone usage down to the minute used on each individual app. But those are just tools. The gold is in how you use them. What I would recommend you do is set a time to meet as a family, your whole family together. If you're single, get your significant other or a friend or eight and come together in the first conversation. Don't talk about where your time is going. Talk about where you want your time to go. Set vision, set this is what I know is important. I wish I had more attention to give to it. But while you're having that conversation, Activate screen time, activate digital well-being, and set another time to meet about a week later. That time, talk about your digital carnivores, these little pets that are eating your time and attention. Talk about where it's going. And then after that, set up a regular time to meet. I'd recommend a month, but whatever works for your schedule. 
in those conversations, they will be some of the least judgmental conversations you will ever have about improving yourself because everyone can get better in this area. And I'm willing to bet that it's about as engaged as your family could get around a Sunday lunch or whatever meal you end up doing. Now, I believe that when you have those conversations, naturally out of that, you'll come up with plans, goals, you'll set things, and you'll come up with great ideas. But this is what I want to do. I just kind of want to prime your pumps and tell you a couple of things that I've decided to do personally on this topic. The first one is I've set device-free zones. I'm not sure you've heard me say it, but these are digital carnivores, right? They eat your time and attention. And what that means is, if they're sitting on the table next to you or in your pocket, they will find their way into your phones, some into your hands. Some of you have noticed that during this message. Your phone found its way into your hand, and you're like, oh my gosh, he's talking about this very thing. How did that get there, you know? Look, they're good at it. They're good at it. It's what they're designed to do. So note when there are times where you are most prone to be distracted from the things that actually matter more and set those times as device-free zones. Turn your phone off or set them far off to the side. Now this is what Lauren and I, my wife and I have decided to do. Isn't this nice? You'll walk into our kitchen and you'll go, wow, that's straight out of the Magnolia market, you know? And, We'll sit down for dinner, and then we are going to politely ask our guests if they would like to put their phones inside. Cage your digital carnivores. Set device-free zones so you can focus on the things that matter most. The other thing that I'm doing personally is I'm prioritizing certain things in the beginning of the day before even messing with my phone. And some of us, we reached the end of our days and we've watched every story from every one of our friends and we haven't spent a second reading the word of God or spending any time face to face with Jesus. Man, set times in the morning where you say, I'm not even going to mess with my phone. Literally, don't touch your phone literally until you hear from God by reading his word and speak to God through prayer. Now you hear this and you might go, that's super impractical because my phone is both my alarm clock and my Bible. And I hear you, when I, came, when I decided this, I, I was like, uh, do I even own an alarm clock anymore? I found one in some drawer somewhere, you can too, or pu pull one in off of Amazon. But it's worth it. It's worth it because we have good intentions. But these are not designed to help us find face-to-face -face time with God. They're designed to steal your attention. And so our best intentions often lose out to the itch, even in the mornings, to find out what witty comments and new memes have been posted about the Bachelor episode from the night before. <laughs> and suddenly our time is gone, we're rushing through our day, and we find ourselves doing it on our own strength and not the strength that comes from the Word of God and the presence of Jesus in our lives. A church in Australia calls this winning the day. Win the day. Start your day off and don't even touch your phone until you spend time with your Lord and Savior. Now, we're going to close this thing up. Before we do, I've got a special message for parents on this topic. Parents, do not believe the lie that your kids know you love them 
because you pay for all of their activities and take them to all of their activities. Jesus was not as interested in Martha's service as he was in her attention. And your children may not be able to articulate this, but they feel the same way. They appreciate your service. They need your attention. They need to feel seen. They need to feel known. They need to feel loved. Turn off your phones. Turn off the television. Lock onto them like the eye of Mordor, all right? It'll freak them out. But you will meet a need that they have that you are uniquely positioned to meet. Also, sign them up for camp. You've heard how amazing camp is. I'm going I'm to give you the secret sauce. The secret sauce is it's device free. <laughs> And listen, I don't know the reaction at other campuses, but I know the reaction here. There's some applause in here, but guess what? We frustrate students and parents alike every year when we set that policy, but we're committed to it. Because we know that when we remove these distractions from the students' lives, they can give their full attention to God and they hear from him like they never have before. So sign them up for camp. It's one of the greatest investments you could ever make in your child's spiritual development. And to Gen Z, you feel this more than any of us. These things have their teeth in your neck and you know it. But I want you to know that this is not a hopeless fight. I have worked with your generation for a decade. I know you to be funny and smart and creative and empathetic and ambitious young men and women lead. Look, if your parents aren't here or, or they go home and disappear into their distractions, don't leave the initiative in their hands. You lead. You make this a priority. You set a time to meet about this. And if your parents don't engage, then you find a group of your peers and you meet together to do this. Because this is where you help the rest of us. When we get older, we get cynical and complacent but when older people see people who are younger than them, who have more maturity, more commitment, more spiritual depth than they do, it wakes something up. It shocks them out of their complacency. We need you. Do not fall to the level of the expectations of the world around you. Rise to the calling that God has placed upon your life. May we all do that. May we all do that. Jesus told Martha, Martha, you are distracted, concerned, and anxious about many things, but there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Every generation, hear Jesus' words, think about the weight of those words and the implications they have for your life. Jesus is calling us to something better. And that better life may mean the death of something we currently love. The death of social media. The death of gaming. The death of finishing cheer and time to talk about it with your friends. But when it comes to Jesus, it's always worth it. When it comes to Jesus, you always get back more than you give up.
Because when it comes to Jesus, death is always followed by resurrection. So choose the good portion. Choose Jesus. Father, we ask that you would help us do that. We have these things in our lives and they have so much good to them. So much good in the technology that's been created, so much joy that we've found, so much laughter. And yet, Father, it is so hard to keep our attention on what matters most. God, we feel that and we need your help. We need to grow in our hunger for you. We need to grow in our discipline. We need to grow in our love for your word and hearing your voice and finding your face because you have placed a calling on our lives that's good. And we confess that there might be fear connected to that, fear of loss of other things that we love currently, but we are asking that you help us put our faith and trust in you that you are worth it, that you are the one thing worth being concerned about, that you are the good portion. God, give us the ability to give our limited attention to what matters most and experience the abundant life that you promise in return. God, may we experience that and find greater joy and love in you than we've ever found before. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.